Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm part of the teaching team here at the church. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online. And of course, those of you that are here in person, welcome as well. Uh, I got to get this off my chest to start off with. I lost a bet. Uh, Many of you know that I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan at heart. And I thought my bowling skills were up to par when we had a team building day a couple weeks back. Uh, We had a team building day, we went bowling, and I thought it was a no-brainer that I would shoot 100 in my sleep, let alone the crew I was playing with. And I love our team here, all right? Brandon Gustafson, our youth pastor, was on that team. Uh, Brian, our lead pastor, was on that team. Tempe Lohmeyer, our communications director, was on uh, this team. And again, I say team, they were my opponents for the day. Um, But this uh, was a, a threesome that I thought I could take out easily, and it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, basically, my first frame was gutter, gutter ball, and it was immediately where I knew, like, the Lord is going to humble someone this, this day. This is going to be a humbling experience. And then, of course, as the game continued to go on, it got a little tighter, started finding my groove a little bit at the end. But the, first of all, Brian, wherever you are, I think, I mean, the guy can drum, the guy can teach, the guy's multi-skilled and talented. He, like, bowled a 170, 180, and he hadn't bowled in, like, years or whatever. I was like, where'd this come from? I thought my average of 130, 140 would sort of carry the day. And again, I couldn't even break 100. So Tempe Lohmeyer, again, wherever you are, Tempe, love you to death. And uh, she just needed six pins in the 10th frame to beat this guy. And she got seven of them. And so that's why I'm preaching in the Denver Broncos jersey. And we'll wear it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm so, so uh, loving the support here from our church. And already some people have approached me this morning. And their narrative is going to be that I'm changing my allegiances. So you've changed your allegiances. Welcome to the good side. I want to say welcome to the dark side, but that's what they're telling me, right? All right. Well, here's, here's where I want us to start off with. Um, first and foremost, uh, we are in a series called Compelling. And what's compelling about this series to me is that uh, we have felt very compelled to change our backyard for a long season, all right? We have wanted to build a deck now for three to four years, and all of COVID sort of smashed that for the Freda family. Uh, You know, prices were going up, and so we sort of paused a little bit, but we've been threatening this, and and our dear friends know this, we've been threatening this for a while now to get this deck built. We wanted to just um, uh, fill some hospitality uh, options for us, give us some more opportunities to have people over the house, and we haven't built it yet, but we're really primed and ready to do it this spring into this summer. Now, what I was doing two or three years ago, this is even prior to COVID, was I would go on walks and just be around my neighborhood, and I would notice individuals in the neighborhood, and it compelled me to go visit these people that had had a new addition to their house, or maybe they had built a deck themselves. And so I I wanted just to see, again, who was their builder? How much did they spend on the project? And I would go neighborhood to neighborhood, or excuse me, neighbor to neighbor, just to sort of see a a new addition, maybe a new deck, and, and just visit with them. Now, most of the people received this really well, just a simple knock on the door and just a visit. Hey, what's going on? Because again, some people I I, I don't recognize, some people I don't know, they don't know me, Uh, but we have a no soliciting mandate within our neighborhood. And some of you are familiar with this. So, So most of the houses I think were pretty agreeable. They seemed happy to engage and enjoy just giving me some feedback, except one of the homes that I went to. It went in the complete opposite direction. So when I went to the door, 
They wouldn't even say hello, but they actually opened their door, and it was sort of the creek where they can, uh, the crack where they can look at you. And I'm getting ready to get into my spiel of why I'm at their house, uh, not trying to sell anything, just trying to check in on them. And immediately this person just sort of interrupts me. We don't want any. Don't want anything from you. Just leave. And I was sort of, no, no, well, you, you don't understand. Let me, let me let you know why I'm here. And I sort of get into my rendition of like, I, I noticed you got some work done. And I just wanted to find out how much that might have cost you. We're looking to get a project done at our house. Yeah, I don't care. I don't want any. <laughs> and they just slammed the door. And so I was a little hurt by that. I was a little frustrated by like, okay, well, I, I mean, I, I didn't look like a salesperson. At least I didn't think I did, right? I didn't have my clipboard with me. I didn't have sort of the, the box of religious literature that I was going to be handing over or whatnot. But again, we do have a no soliciting mandate. But I, I, I left. And I started thinking to myself, what, if, what could have been so threatening, and so I tried to put myself, of course, in their shoes. Like, I'm an extrovert, and so that's easy for me to go up to a stranger and maybe start connecting immediately. Maybe they're just introverted. That's fine. That's, that's, that's not a bad thing, right? Or perhaps no one in their, their specific part of the neighborhood had really reached out and tried to get to know them. Again, because of that, no soliciting mandate. In my mind, I was just like, does that mean we can never actually go visit our neighbors again? What's going on? So two weeks later, two weeks later, I'm on a walk. And I'm just walking around that same specific house that I had stopped by, and that individual's out in their yard. I recognized them. Wasn't sure if they recognized me. So I just did the non-confrontational. I'm not even going to go up. I'm just going to do the wave thing, right? And I wave, and immediately they're sort of looking at me, and like, who's waving at me kind of look. And, and eventually, I think they recognized me. Oh, that guy, I think I've seen him around, or he's just being kind. And so they ended up doing the wave as well. But it sort of took a while. I'm like, dang. Is my, is my face just hideous to look at? Do I smell? Like, what's going on here, right? And I just kept thinking, what is so, what, what, what is making them so afraid to engage? And not like this fear of like horror film, scary movie kind of fear, right? Not that kind of fear that I'm trying to define in my own head, but this fear of the unknown. It was something that really stuck with me. We're so afraid of the unknown. Many of us, are afraid of another individual that might think differently than we do, might live a, a different life than we do, might have a different perspective on the world than we do. And because we don't understand that or we don't know that, we don't even know what, what they're trying to get after, what they might want from us, we have this fear of the unknown. I left very confused. I still think to this day I'm trying to wrap my head and my heart around that thought. But here's one of the primary obstacles as we're in this compelling series. One of the primary obstacles for us to live a compelling life, to be the people of God and the Christians that God has called us to be, I think one of the biggest obstacles, primary obstacles, is going to be fear. It's going to be some of that fear of the unknown confusion of the person I don't understand. To live a compelling life, we need to pass, get past our fears. See, if you've joined us for this teaching series, we've been talking about just living a, a compelling life, that the people of God, the, the church, not the building, the people, were called to be compelling, to live really countercultural lives and in of that countercultural lives, it'll have flavor, it'll have spice to it, it'll have um, some, some light that shines down for people that, that, that a light bulb might go on for them, say, that's, they're living differently, they seem more joyful, they seem to get through trials in a different level, this is compelling to me, 
I, I want to ask them more questions. I want to engage with that. So the everyday people, the everyday sphere of influence that God puts us around, what would it mean to live a compelling life? And with a culture that's becoming more increasingly individualistic and isolated, I think fear is a tool. Fear is going to be a tool that our enemy will use as we look to share our lives with one another. Fear is going to be that tool that prevents us from inviting people, all kinds of people from all different kinds of background and worldviews into our lives. And just think about that. Think about the moment we're living in. We're facing relational and social change at dizzying rates. Because life, if you think back, this is maybe even pre-industrial revolution kind of life, life used to be more comfortable for people. Comfortable. Think about that for a minute. The lives we lived, they were reflective of our values and our preferences. That gets a little grayed out now in today's culture. People would gather uh, by race, they would gather by class, religion, shared moral frameworks. And there was this psychological and emotional ease because that's just an easier thing to step into when people are like you and think the way you do. We're kept... Uh, the people that maybe were different than us back when, they were kept at a safe distance in many ways. The occasional encounter would drive us deeper into our safe communities. But, but the arrival of the internet comes, right? And so you got the internet, you have, you have apps that are connecting us to people around the world. There's all these kinds of shifts, maybe in political power and whatever affiliation you have in that season. College campuses become more diverse. And so this new generation rises up and, and they're, they're thinking through equality and diversity over the sameness. But catch this, catch this now. In many ways, the diversity is seen as a threat. And when we have threats, what does that do? In our lives, when something is threatening to us, it stirs up our anxiety, doesn't it? Our anxiety gets stirred, and then ultimately, we get stirred up with fear. 2 Timothy 1.7. This is our scripture. This is our foundation for this morning. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. See, it's no wonder. It's no wonder in our culture why fear and suspicion are such at a high rate for us. 24-hour news cycles, right? They're one click away, they're one swipe away for us. And any time of day, I think we can view multiple scary, downright, just cringeworthy stories that we're engaging with. And our natural response would be, oh, there is a lot of brokenness in this world. There are a lot of sick people out there. There are really messed up people. I mean, look at I'm wearing this jersey, right? So, like, that's just part of the story. The problem is that when we continually get exposed to those type of stories, when we get that on our life feed, a, shuttle, a subtle shift, I believe, starts taking place in how we view people. And we begin with this view of viewing people as others, as others, that they're everywhere when we're really in reality, those others, especially the real horrible stories we hear, those are really the exception. They're not necessarily everywhere. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder, are there really more sick people and sick stories, brokenness that's just such this high level, uh, really more people than there were prior to the Industrial Revolution? Or you know what? Is there just more technology now where there's more awareness of what that brokenness looks like. 
how brokenness is much higher in our sphere just because, again, we're watching it on what we're looking at on our cell phone. Is it really higher than it's been in the past? So what if, what if the followers of Christ, to, to, be, to be this compelling group of people, what if we were to act more like Christ and being the ones that reached out to people who are different than us? What if we gathered strangers to share uh, just some simple human pleasures like a meal? And over a meal, we would engage with them and start connecting with them. I just wonder if we started doing that and if we started being intentional with those opportunities, if we could cancel out the fear, if it just might help us overcome those divisions and that isolation that many of us are struggling with in society, it might enable us to answer our doors, to engage with an individual and not be so, what does that person want? And this transactional kind of nature we live with. And it might enable us to show Jesus, the most important thing, to show Jesus to the people that would otherwise never encounter him. And that future might be one of inclusion and belonging to the family of God. The thing that matters above all else. I want us to write this down this morning. Hospitality overcomes fear. Hospitality, if you're looking for something that can help you with that fear of the unknown, hospitality overcomes fear. There's a, a professor of ethics, her name's Christine Pohl. She said this, even among Christians, many of the current di discussions about poverty and welfare, inclusion and diversity, scarcity and distribution are conducted without the benefit of any coherent theological framework. Often the result is that our stands on the most complex social and public policy concerns are still affected by our deepest Christian values and commitments. Hospitality as a framework provides a bridge which connects our theology with daily life concerns. And another way to say what Christine's trying to communicate here is a theology of hospitality that can rekindle something within us. Maybe that love that is, again, what God has wired us for sound for, it can rekindle love and then cast out the fears that we have. The Greek word for hospitality, I love this. It's philoxenia. Say that with me after I say it. Philoxenia. That's, it's, it's a really cool word. It combines this word philos with the word xenos. Now, philos means a meaningful friend. The xenos means meaning foreigner. And so it's combining these two words, rather than fear of the other, hospitality is love of the other. And the reason that God calls us to this kind of love, the reason why he's calling us to be that kind of people is because what he first did for us, the love he has for us. And I think that's what we forget about when we build the narrative of the other, is that we are the other. We've always been the other. See, some of us, I think, we like to project ourselves in this story of salvation in some distorted ways at times. At times, we, we think that we're part of this insider group that, that was, again, just God reaffirming what we were born to be part of, and that's the good guy's click. Christianity, but nothing could actually be further from the truth when you read the scriptures. The Apostle Paul describes our condition before Christ as outsiders. He reminds the people of Ephesus of this when he says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel 
and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. I love that because Paul's reminding us, he's reminding me that we were separate. We were excluded. We were foreigners. We were hopeless. And that's a good place to be with all of us, all of us landing on the same starting ground, all of us playing on the same level playing field. All of mankind starts at that same place of being an outsider. We are the other. We've wandered as strangers on this earth and we're looking for a place to belong. We've been wounded. We've been wounded in our vulnerability and we've ached for stability in our life looking to find something that just gives us meaning and gives us purpose. Our sin, that's the thing that disconnected us from the source of life, this life that was in need of redemption, and that's all of us. That's black, that's brown, that's white, red, that's Democrat, that's Republican, that's man, that's woman, Broncos or Chiefs fan, right? It's all of us. It's all of us. And the good news is that at the beginning, God has sought to welcome us back. That's his perfect love. This perfect love that, again, casts out fear, casts out the feelings of, of timidness when we come into interaction with those relationships. That gives us power, that gives us love, that gives us this self-discipline. And it's for this reason, hospitality, it was actually a central part of the Torah, which are the first five books that we engage with as we read the Bible. The Israelites were called to remember their otherness, their otherness, and they remember their time in Egypt as foreigners. They're in this wilderness. They're nomads to a foreign land, and they're looking to pursue and maybe, maybe a better word is to say they're looking to produce this kind of compassion that, for other people that was laid on them by God. Exodus twenty two twenty one. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus nineteen thirty three through thirty four. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I love, I love how this is cool to me, how the, the consideration of strangers, the consideration of the foreigner, even went into your economic grill. It even went into what you had and what you made to give someone else some margin, to give someone else some dignity, to give the foreigner the provision that that stranger required, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And the point here is that the people of Israel, they were looking to overcome their fear. They would have had the same fears you and I do of the people that we don't know and understand. They would have had prejudice as well. And they're leaning into showing this hospitality to others because that's the way the gracious God had treated them. Understanding was to lead to inclusion. But it's not just an Old Testament learning. Nowhere in all of recorded history do we see this hospitality nature than in the life of Jesus Christ. And there's a New Testament scholar, Joshua Jip, he says it this way, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. Jesus's ministry was the rescuing love and welcome of God on display. Jesus's posture was one of inclusion and embrace 
He created a portal of heaven's welcome for those who had been pushed out and shunned. God's hospitality is extended to his lost, broken, needy, and often stigmatized people. This divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus, the divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners and outcasts and strangers and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. That's compelling. (laughs) If we were to trace the hospitality of Jesus throughout the gospel, you would find that hospitality wasn't part of Jesus' strategy. It wasn't just one of the, the things he got after in a big way. It was the strategy. Hospitality was the strategy. Just take a look at the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to encourage you guys to do that on your own this week. But just see where Jesus is eating with people. Luke chapter 5. Jesus is uh, eating with tax tax collectors, with with sinners. And he's at the home of Levi. Luke chapter 7. Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Notice how these are people that would have thought differently than Christ. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal and he's encouraging people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just inviting the friends that they have. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites people to dinner with Zacchaeus um, and he actually just uh, invites himself to that dinner with Zacchaeus. Please try that this next week. Just say that your pastor told you to do that. Just invite yourself to someone's house over for dinner. Luke chapter 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. Jesus is in attendance in the Last Supper. Luke chapter 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two specific disciples. He's later eating fifth fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. I don't know about you. But Jesus Christ literally looks like he has a spiritual gift of eating, right? Like this is his spiritual gift is to have a meal. This is a guy after my own heart. He's either going to a meal, he's coming from a meal. It's all surrounded around this meal. But here's the point. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors and fishermen. He included and welcomed those that would have been seen as the others by the religious culture of the day. So he's humanizing and not dismissing them as society would have seen them as outsiders. That would have been a dehumanizing to exclude those people. They even called the Gentiles dogs, refusing to acknowledge their presence as people. And Jesus is tearing down those boundaries because hospitality can crush fear. It overcomes fear all the time. And I'm not here recommending that we simply dismiss our fears and blindly jump into something. I'm not recommending that you're not using wisdom and you're not using some discernment as you come alongside those as it relates to people that are in our sphere of influence. We've talked about guardrails here. We've talked about boundaries here. They're important Some of those fears are valid. Some of those things you have to build because of the dangerous and unhealthy situations you can find yourself in. But on the other hand, on the other hand, our fears, they're often unwarranted. They're unwarranted. And those unwarranted fears may be the very obstacles that are standing in your way of fulfilling part of that great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so if we're gonna lean into hospitality, well, we're gonna have to be encouraged to wrestle with the fears of the unknown, to struggle, to live in the tension. And, and, and fear has that way of distorting our perspective because sometimes when we're afraid of others, when, we, when someone sees the world differently than us and, 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 and they think differently than us, we can see ourselves as just not, oh, I don't have the answers to maybe what they have the answers to. Or I do have some answers and those butt up against theirs and I wanna convince them to come to my side and so there's this tension that we have. Again, relationships are messy. It's never going to look like this perfect um, um, chart that you follow to make that work, right? But we have to lean into the fears. It's good for us to keep in mind that we've been conditioned to be afraid of people that are different than us and they've been conditioned to be afraid of us. That's, that's the same thing going on for them. And then th what that means, what the tension builds up to is this crescendo of that means that there's gonna have to be a group of people or a person that breaks the cycle of fear. So will that be the people of God? Will that be the people of God that break that fear, that lean in? Who better than the people of God? Because God gives us this invitation that we can move forward and not backward. He puts it this way in Peter 3, 13 through 16. He's offering this further kind of perspective. Peter asks, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to any, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now what's interesting about this text is it's often applied in the context of learning how to explain to people what Christians believe. We're always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us about our hope in Jesus. But I want you to notice the surrounding context of that scripture. Peter's quoting from Isaiah 8:12, and the instruction is clear. When you encounter the others, fear not. Don't fear. Don't be frightened. Even when everyone around you, around you chooses to fear, the people of God, they have this hope that is greater. They have an understanding that is greater. So live that out and fear not. Because when we start to break down that fear, like Jesus broke down that fear. When we start breaking down those boundaries like Jesus so willingly did, we're gonna touch something that's compelling. Don't, let's not fool ourselves. You're all smart people. This is something that culture's craving. What's compelling to people is, is to engage in spaces where they are welcomed and where strangers and, and even enemies and outsiders and others can become friends. That's compelling to people because they don't even see that in what they're engaging with every day on their phones, on their feeds. And Jesus was creating pockets of love, pockets of love in this culture that he was living in that was leaning into the fearful things of that day to create a new kind of community called the church, the group of people, the people of God. Pastor Brian has been helping us lean into the, this a bit the last couple of weeks. The church was not to exist as this haven from the world, but as a hope for the world. Do you see how there's two different things there? There's different posture, and one's really defensive and retreat-like and bunker-down mentality, and the other's on offense. 
The other assuming an offensive posture. We're gonna continue to be life-giving, healing ministry of Jesus to open up hearts, to create these uh, environments of welcome. And that's gonna go, that's gonna have to go beyond a Sunday. Beyond a Sunday here with just our family. It's gonna have to leave these four walls to the areas that we're gonna go into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our marriages, and the people that we interact with. It goes well beyond a Sunday morning, right? Back to our main verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I want to get practical with this scripture this morning. I want us to get practical as Paul's speaking. Let's break down some ideas that we can live out hospitality the way Jesus did, and maybe we can chew on one or two of these this next week. Let's first start by creating an environment of welcome. Just having that mindset. How do I begin? How do I start creating an environment of welcome in my life? And here's just a few thoughts that I want you to jot down. First thing to consider is to push past the excuses. This is part of the self-discipline that the Spirit of God has empowered with us, or empowered in us. Self-discipline means that it's the ability to pursue what, one's think, who, what one thinks is right despite temptations to abandon that. So as we look to create environments of welcome, we're gonna have to create the self-discipline. We're gonna have to lean into Christ for our self-discipline to push past our excuses. Because safety is just the natural desire when it comes to facing our fears. But actually much of our fear, if you really break it down, is just is, is limited or, or maybe it's, it's really just surrounded by that idea of just being timid. It's not fear, it's really timidity. And that could come up when you feel like, oh, this is gonna be awkward. It's not really a deep-seated fear in you. You're just timid to step into that because this is gonna be awkward to have this encounter with others. Or maybe you're in the circle of a group of friends or, or, or not friends, people you don't know. You tell a joke and no one laughed at the joke. And now I feel just silly, right? And you have to push through that. Because, because social interaction isn't this exact science. All you have to do is be yourself. Because sometimes it's not going to feel natural to be welcoming, to show kindness towards a stranger. That's where the self-discipline to lean into this. And it will be very easy to say things like, oh, this is strange, I'm out. I don't want to do this. Or, I, or I'm an introvert. And so God obviously has someone better suited for this. Maybe that someone better suited for that is even your spouse. Maybe they are a little bit more extroverted than you are. Maybe lean into some of their things. Again, introversion's not bad. It's just about pushing through some of these things so we can think about how we can honor God with some of those opportunities he will inevitably present us with. Ah, oh, this isn't the right time. You know what? I'm gonna take the initiative. I am gonna try to invite them to lunch next week. Push past it. Push past the excuses. Well, we'll have them over for dinner next time. I just don't, oh, I don't wanna clean up the house and maybe we should just go out. See, the feeling of awkwardness, I think that, that timid feeling we get, it's really just nervousness around possible rejection. None of us want to be rejected. And the truth is, here's the truth, awkwardness is not going to kill you. Awkwardness is okay. It's not going to kill any of us. We need to push past the excuses. And that, that even alone can make someone say, that's compelling, they wouldn't maybe say that word, but they would think through that, that, that there's something there that they're pushing through. There's something that they're doing. 
And God enables us to be bold, to take the first step, to live out that hospitality for that neighbor. We don't need to be afraid. When you feel those emotions creeping in, this is going to be weird, this is going to, it feels weird. Just remember that awkwardness probably will be the worst of that. Push past it. We can also create an environment of welcome by moving to the front yard. This is the love aspect of what Timothy's teaching us to love. When you're able to truly love your neighbor, where they're at, that means you're moving to the front yard. Now, now some of you, what's going on here? This is a figurative and literal kind of thing when I'm asking this. Can you guess where Jenny and I are looking to build our deck? It's not in the front yard. I'm not going to have a wraparound porch. That'd be cool. But our deck's going to be in the backyard. And why will it be there? Well, because the kids play in the backyard. And most of our backyards, what is that for us? It's like the social hub for where we go for families. That's common for all of us. But what if we literally and figuratively moved our mindset to the front yard? Meaning instead of just coming home, opening the garage door, driving up the driveway parking and having that garage door go down and just going into my home, I actually leave the garage door open for a while. I go out to the front yard because I saw a couple of my neighbors and I'm just waving or I just engage with them. How you doing? Say hi. You see what I'm saying? How that's a mindset? We do this. I, I do this. Head right home, garage door open, garage door closed, done. But it's a mindset of moving to the front yard. See, block parties, they're becoming more and more the rage. And where do those happen? Those are happening on sidewalks and in front yards and in cul-de-sacs. Lawn chairs with people hanging out in front. So this mentality, it, it can mean so many things and opportunities that present themselves. We can move to the front yard, even at work. I would say a mindset of moving to the front yard at work is saying, where's that hallway huddle? And where am I when that hallway huddle sort of starts taking place? Do I just retreat to my cube? Retreat to the restroom? Retreat anywhere that's not around other people so they can see me and I can see them? It's this philosophical mindset, this living out what you're doing. I'm not going to try to escape to where I'm just comfortable, where I can hide and bunker down away from the world. See, our deck, of course, it's going to be an opportunity to invite more people over, to have more people over, meals and connection. But it starts with that mind shift, moving to the front yard. I want to lay out a challenge today. And this challenge is for one month. Try it out. One month, have one or two nights where you are intentionally inviting someone over for a meal. And these people are not just your friends. Just a group of people. Maybe you work with them. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they're just someone that you're, again, it's in your sphere of influence that don't think like you, that don't do life the way you do, that don't have the same values that you do, that grew up with different backgrounds. People that see the world differently. One night. One night this month, maybe twice this month, living out hospitality because God's given you this spirit of self-discipline and to love your neighbor. Last thought, as we're just creating these environments of welcome, we push past the excuses, we move to the front yard, this last one, this impacts you. This impacts you. And this to me is where the power of God is. Because I think with hospitality, it's easy to keep in mind that it's so others-centric. It's so about the foreigner. It's so about the outsider. And we forget how God's power is on full display. That he's not just looking for people who would open their homes. 
He's not just looking for people who's open their schedule, who's open their options. God wants our heart. He wants people that will open their hearts. We gave the Greek word for hospitality. And the English word for hospitality originates from the same Latin root as the word hospital. Well, what's a hospital? What do we know a hospital to be? This home for people that are injured, that are looking for healing. Hospitals home for strangers. And we know that hospitals provide all the healing, but the biblical writers believe that hospitality offered this promise and this gift to not those that would just receive the healing by the hospitality bestowed on them, but by the individual that was giving the hospitality. Those that were extending it were also being healed. We're also being healed inside, and that's why this glorious thing that God does, this impacts you. It impacts me to trump our fears. Hebrews 13, 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I love this because in the scriptures, angels are messengers, and they're sent to warn or bring good news. And see, what you have perceived as a threat in your life, it may actually be a promise. What if you refuse the opportunity of the hospitality, shutting someone else out from the help and the guidance of God, and maybe that help and guidance was exactly for you to receive from God? And I don't know if you've ever thought about hospitality in that way, but it's, it's compelling to me to even just reframe that in of itself, that this may even be for me, that my cultural lenses are, are now this biblical lens, that I'm not gonna shut God out of my life because I'm not gonna rob myself of something or this opportunity that he wants to give to me. We can't ever forget that hospitality means something for you, for us. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen said this decades ago. And I, I love this, how he said it decades ago and yet how it's so appropriate for our day. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear to intrude and to do harm. But still, that is our vocation, to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood could be formed and fully experienced. Whom do you know that is different enough from you to make you feel a little uncomfortable, to make you feel a little timid? A lot of us would say, well, I don't have any enemies. I don't have any strict and hard and fast enemies, but who is unlike you? And maybe it's time to set that discomfort aside for a time because maybe you're gonna learn something about yourself. Or maybe you're gonna learn something about the nature of God. See, we want these non-threatening environments, but what if you made a non-threatening invitation that you could offer to someone else to be better, to grow in your relationship. Something, what if someone that's different than you invites you to a meal 
or to a social event or to a gathering? Are you ready to say yes to that invitation? Are you ready to say yes as many times as Jesus did? Some of us are, have been waiting for a long time for an invitation just to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't even know you've been waiting for it, but there's something that's been stirring in you, trying to make sense of the world, trying to make sense of just figuring out life. And that's sort of the beauty of Christianity. That's the beauty of the Christian journey is it's not about figuring it out. The beauty of the Christian life isn't about figuring life out. It's not about figuring yourself out. It's not about figuring people out. Here's why. is because there is a person in Jesus Christ that already has everything figured out. And in following that God and giving your life to Jesus, you instantly gain a counselor. You instantly gain a guide. You instantly gain this perspective from a person that knows how to do life, that knows how to do our best kind of life because he was perfect, because he was God. I wanna invite you into relationship with that God this morning because he died on a cross for your sins and for mine and he has all of that after effect, how to live this life out and following. He has that part figured out when we lean into him, lean on his word. And that's not just this spiritual kind of like, okay, now it's about the, all these applications and all these biblical premises and these things that I need to put into practice. What we're talking about today, this is messy. This isn't just a how-to and like take these four steps and that's how it works. It's messy and relationships are, are, are not this, there's so much nuance to all of that. But in following that counselor and guide, we each have an individual to look to, Holy Spirit, would you help me in this next encounter as I invite these people over? Would you guide me in my words? Would you guide me in the things that I know about you and your heart for people? And that's what our God does in relationship because it's a relationship with him, not just a list of rules to follow, but a relationship to grow in with him. And when you do that, you're doing that with someone full of wisdom, full of kindness, and you're doing that, catch this, you're doing that with someone who's wild, who's wild and pushes up against the grain and does things that you won't be able to imagine because he's a warrior, because he's unlike any other person you will ever engage with. I'm inviting you to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Would you pray this prayer as I prayed aloud in your hearts this morning? God, God, I just ask you to come in and change me from the inside out. I want that relationship. I want to push against fear and timidity and start that relationship today. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I confess I don't have things figured out. I don't think I ever will. But I'm asking you to come in and guide my life to teach me your ways. Help me, Jesus, to love others the way you love people. I give my life to you. And I pray these things in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the rest of us this week, let's be a people. Let's be a people that are looking to live as we will be a people that overcome fear, that we live in power, that we live in love, 
and that we live in self-discipline, the very spirit of God, what he's doing in each of our lives. Bless you guys. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.